0: The IPO Street will be crowded this week. Five companies looking to raise over 7,400 crores will be vying for attention from investors. The largest of the lot looking to raise over 3,000 crores is from the stables of the Tata house, Tata Tech. 20 years after TCS debuted on Dalal Street, the Tata Group is returning to ask investors to bet once again on the salt to software conglomerate as it puts up for sale a piece of what would be their 30th listed company. Tata Tech, once a well-kept secret, was a business unit within Tata Motors. It was ultimately spun off in 1995, but the spin-off didn't really mean much, as it catered almost exclusively at this point to its mothership. Cut to a decade later, in 2005, Ratan Tata's automotive push for the group was in full throttle. That would add JLR to the portfolio. The company also acquired Incat International a British design and engineering services firm from which Tata Tech's current CEO hails. Tata Tech made its mark within the group by spearheading the Nano project and now the mega EV and digitizing push for JLR. With a price tag of 475 to 500 rupees a share, the Tata Tech IPO which is open from November 22nd to 24th values the company at 2.4 billion dollars and is a pure offer for sale from the promoter, which is also its biggest client Tata Motors. There's heightened excitement among the investors as reports indicate that the grey market premium for the IPO has surged over 300 rupees. But aside from the Tata premium, many questions remain. What exactly does Tata Tech do and how is it different from the already-existed Tata Alexei? Why is the promoter Tata Motors choosing to sell stake now? And why is the price 20% higher versus the stake sale TPG just a month ago? Should investors be wary of the high revenue dependency on Tata Motors, its promoter and the biggest client? And what is the Tesla connect for Tata Tech? Finally, will Air India be able to do for its aerospace segment what TAMO did for its automotive? Economic Times' Ashutosh Sham and I get answers from the CEO himself, Warren Harris.
1: We are the only Indian engineering service provider today that can lay claim to develop a vehicle end-to-end I'm not going to comment on the relationship with uh, with Tesla, but we do have one. Manufacturing is in our DNA. Air India is a customer of ours. The group is now investing very heavily in aerospace. India has a very unique challenge in that there are 1.2 million engineers that graduate every year, but only about 20% of them are deemed to be fit for purpose in terms of what the industry needs.
0: It's November 21st from the Economic Times. I'm your host Anupriya Nair and you're listening to the IPO Corner Office Conversation with the Tata Tech CEO. Joining us today on the Economic Times Morning Brief podcast, Warren Harris, CEO of Tata Tech. Warren, welcome to the Morning Brief.
1: Well, thank you for uh, inviting me. Very much appreciate it.
0: So I want to start up first up with the most basic question that everyone has, which is what does Tata Tech really do? Who is Tata Tech?
1: Well, thank you for the opportunity for me to be able to to summarize. We're in a very exciting space. We're in the global engineering, research and development market. Everything that we do is focused upon the manufacturing sector and specifically three industry verticals, automotive, aerospace and transport, construction and heavy machinery. One of the things that we're known for is our ability to be able to develop electric vehicles, for instance. And we do that from concept all the way through production launch. If I talk very basically about the steps that a manufacturing company goes through to develop a vehicle, typically they will come up with the way in which a vehicle looks. That theme will then provide the envelope around which the structure, the mechanical structure, the electrical structure, the software that informs the functionality and the capabilities. We have capabilities in each of those areas. So we do detailed engineering for the mechanical product, for the software product, we test and validate the product, and then we also help the customer launch the product in their production facilities. One of the things that really differentiates our company is that we are the only Indian engineering service provider today that can lay claim to developing a vehicle end to end. And that's what differentiates us. That's the difference that matters that Tata Technology represents.
0: So I want to take you back a little bit into time before we get our hands more greasy into the business of it, Warren. You've been with Tata Tech for quite a while now. Let's go back five, six years into time. And there was a point where the group had signed the dotted line for this company to be sold to Bobok Pint because that deal never went through. What happened then and what has changed in the last five to six years for the conviction of the group in this company that we're here today talking about this listing?
1: Well, the group, they were raising capital and they positioned an opportunity for Wahlberg Pincus to buy into our company. And that particular transaction didn't happen. Wahlberg Pincus decided not to invest at the 11th hour, 59th minute. And so we've continued our journey independently. We have, over the years, raised capital. Tata Capital itself has invested in 2011, 2012, and has been part of our journey. And so we've shared the ownership of Tata Technologies as we've evolved through the various stages of our evolution. And we are really excited now that we've got the opportunity through the IPO to be able to provide a uh, a return to those shareholders that have shown real patience and confidence in, uh, in what it is that we've done. So one thing that most of the investors have at this point of time, just a month back, TPG
2: took about 9% stake in the company at 104 and one rupees per share. And then now you are offering 500 rupees per share for a retail investor. Uh, why a TPG was treated at a lower price compared to the price you are offering to a retail? It means What has really changed just within a
1: month where the valuation has gone up almost like 24%? Well, we're really excited about bringing in TPG their climate change fund. In terms of the transaction itself, it was a bilateral agreement between Tata Motors and uh, and TPG. It was a willing buyer and a willing seller. The price that we have positioned for the IPO was informed by the feedback that investors gave to the banks after the roadshow. A recommendation has been made to our board and that recommendation has been adopted.
0: You talked about being one-of-a-kind providers, but your revenue model is skewed towards your top clients. And that's a lot of people would like answers for that. Tata Motors and JLR is obviously a top uh, client for you. Take us through what the revenue dependency really looks like in the automotive sector. What do your top clients really contribute? And how well have you been able to diversify it? Because I think that will be a key question because if you're listing, you're not just a subsidiary division of Tata Motors. Now
1: It's it's, it's a great question. And if you look at our revenues some 10 years ago, the majority of the business that we undertook was skewed towards the Tata Motors group. So it was Tata Motors and and Jag and Land Rover. Last year, when you look at our aggregate revenues, only 33% of our business was delivered to Tata Motors and to JLR. And so we've successfully diversified our way from the client uh, concentration risk That we had 10 years ago but one of the things that i think that's important to recognize with tata technologies is that the type of business that we do with our customers is very strategic when you're entrusted with next generation product to develop a product that will define their competitive position in three and five years time so the type of relationships that we have with customers are very committed the size of relationships that we have with our customers um, very large. You know, you look at the volumes at Jag and Land Rover, you look at the volumes at uh, TML, you look at what we've done with WinFast and how we've scaled that relationship over the last four or five years. It's a demonstration of the fact that, um, that the commitment that we receive from our customers is very strategic indeed. You have been a part of
2: new energy vehicle, have been a very integral part of your system. One, I just want to know how much currently it is contributing. And since uh, in this EV space, when we'll talk about always the Tesla, is a, usually people want that marquee name on your customer list. So just want to check, is, do you
1: have a, some exposure to the Tesla? There's 33, 34 blue chip traditional OEMs and their suppliers. There's about 12 new energy vehicle companies. The 33... Companies that we work with provide predictability and they provide volume. But the new energy vehicle companies are providing the innovation and the thought leadership that's really disrupting the industry. So, our view is that we need to maintain a healthy mix of customers in both sides of the market segment. And so, we are very ambitious in terms of working with the most progressive companies in our space. I'm not going to comment on the relationship with uh, with Tesla, but we do have one. I will say that one of the things that we have developed a very mature and disciplined understanding against is which ones of the new energy vehicle companies that we should work with and which companies we should not. Many companies have aspired to develop electric vehicles in the last 10 years. Many of them have not been successful, and so we have learned to identify which organizations are likely to be successful, and which companies represent risk. And we have honed our customer target list to those companies that we believe will sustain for the long term. So one of the key things that is
2: emerging, of space is that everybody is moving towards software development. I think VW is spending almost 20 billion on that. So if this OEMs are spending so much on the software, where exactly the skill set of the company like you really lies, if they're spending so much, is that Uh, They're going to outsourcing a significant amount that would be your addressable market or they might be a position where you might be really competing with them in terms of what they can
1: develop. You can't be relevant today in the automotive space if you don't have um, software capabilities, if you don't have embedded capabilities. In order to develop a full vehicle, you need to have the full suite of capabilities on both mechanical side and the software side of things increasingly software and technology will compete for the lion's share of the R&D investment. And it's speculated that by 2030, 50% of the investment will be in software and in technology. So in order for us to be relevant and meaningful, we've got to have capabilities in that area. We developed the connected services proposition for Neo in 2016. That's the flagship electric vehicle company in China uh, today. If you look at what we've done for Volvo on the Polestar 1, again, a set of very progressive connected services. In Bangalore, we've set up a software development center for a tier one automotive company. It's an e-propulsion company. That company sells components and subsystems to more than 50% of the vehicles that are sold globally. We're providing most of the software that inform the capabilities of those components. So we have breadth and depth in that area, and we're investing very aggressively in building out the capabilities. And every single OEM and tier one will make a different decision- in terms of how they develop and deliver software services. Some companies, like Tesla, will do everything in-house. Other companies will develop an ecosystem of of partners. And we want to be able to provide services to those customers, regardless of the business model and the approach that they take. The most important thing here is the Stellan pool. But when I see the attrition rates are significantly higher, I like it's about 20%. Before COVID, attrition rates were industry leading. We were at 13, 14%. As with everybody after COVID, we were exposed to the great attrition, uh, the great resignation. And the attrition rates spiked to 23, 24%. They've come down to 17% now if we look at last 12 months. And we fully expect to get back down to 13, 14% in the next 12 to 18 months.
0: Warren, I want to shift gears from auto to aerospace for a minute. Um, You're building a significant presence in that segment with now Airbus as a client. Um, So one has to wonder, given the Tata Group's push in aviation, will Air India do for your aerospace segment what Tata Motors did for your automotive?
1: Air India is a customer of ours. You know, Campbell is a great friend and, uh, and somebody that um, I've really enjoyed working alongside. We were impaneled by Airbus 18 months ago. We're part of their engineering service provider supplier program. You know, over the last 18 months, because Airbus is a very regulated company, you know, we've uh, opened up offices in Toulouse and Hamburg. We've rolled out IT systems. We've gone through all the accreditations. And we've also built up a sizable order book. We'll start to discharge that order book in the next uh, six months. We'll see a material increase in revenues from Airbus next year. And we expect that to continue to grow in the next three to five years. We're doing a lot ourselves because the group is now investing very heavily in aerospace. The influence that the group is having is, uh, is significant, and that's providing tailwinds for organizations like ourselves. The overall market is set to double in terms of the number of aircraft that are going to be in use over the next 20 years. Much of that demand is going to come from India. The infrastructure requirements that are going to be required here, not just in terms of things like MRO, but also in terms of final assembly capabilities here. We think that is going to provide a macro opportunity that we are ideally positioned to take full advantage of. So, you know, we're very excited about automotive, but incredibly excited about what's happening in uh, in aerospace too.
0: We talked a lot about your consumers and clients. I want to talk about your competition as well. One of it being from within the group itself. A lot has been talked about Tata Alexi being in this similar space as you are. Are there bits that you and Tata Alexi go in, find them on the other side of the bidding pool as well for a client?
1: Sometimes we do overlap, not just with Tata Alexi, but also with uh, with TCS. And as with all group companies, we are empowered to compete where it makes sense, but we're also empowered to collaborate. and uh, And there are examples of collaboration between TCS and Alexi and Tata Technologies. You know, we're focused on our strengths. Uh, our strengths are the fact that we can develop a full vehicle. Our strengths that we have a balanced onshore offshore proposition. Our strengths are that we are fully focused just on manufacturing. Uh, manufacturing is in our DNA, and that informs the type of relationships that we can have with our uh, our customers. And so, it's those things that we're focused on. But in the space, and like you find these company to be a big competition
2: in next couple of years, let's say, when we see the, those companies, the typical IT company, they are more into application services, you are really with a client right from the scratch to, or there, the emphasis is to bring down the cost Here is to revenue maximization. So are you looking at, uh, there would be a addressable market for both of these sectors to be there or these kind of a company to be there rather than, competing.
1: mean they are, are there complement or they are competition? You know, the, the market for engineering service providers globally is about a hundred billion dollars. The market is growing in double digit terms. India's contribution is growing at a higher rate than the addressable market. So we think that there is more than enough opportunity for all of the uh, the group companies to continue to grow and uh, and be successful. We'll continue to explore opportunities to collaborate, but we'll also compete aggressively where um, collaboration is uh, is not confirmed.
2: Sure. One of the key things I was looking at on the margin side, you have been, your margins, EBITDA margins have been increasing the last three years. Can you give us some bit of a sense that what is driving those margins from 16%, now you're reaching almost eighteen 185 half? So what has led to that 250 basis point of increase in
1: margin? And do it look like we can increase it further? We're very proud of the work that we've done in terms of driving operational efficiency. And that is certainly informed margins. And it's the standard levers that define the IT services industry. Um, the more offshoring that we can do, margins improve. Span of control, as far as people pyramid are concerned, the more that we can do by bringing in graduates and, uh, and training them, the, uh, the better off the unit economics of the business. You know, things like productivity is really important. If I had to look at one lever, it's offshoring. If you look at ratios, our ratios are about 50-50 in terms of onshore and offshore revenues. We think because of the nature of our business, we can get that up to about 65, maybe even 70%. But we're not going to get up to the sort of um, 80, 90% of a Tata Ralexi, for instance, because we're in a, a different type of uh, a business. And so we think that we can continue the margin improvement journey. And we certainly have aspirations to take in margins beyond the 20% uh, level. But it'll be much more incremental over the next couple of years. You'll not see the quantum leap improvement that we've driven in the last three years.
0: We've talked very passionately about manufacturing, but there's a little blip of called education out there as well. Um, Wanted to understand why. Also wanted to understand the kind of scale up that you're looking at for education. Is it something that's sort of on happening under the carpet and will finally be spun off as something else? What's the...
1: Yeah, great question. I'm glad that you've you've asked me. We've been uh, we did, we've been in the business.
0: You're clearly excited oh, about I it. I am R- really to, excited.
1: <laughs> um, we've been in the business of training engineers for uh, for more than 20 years. You know, we've talked a lot about our product engineering capabilities, but one of the things that we also do is deploy. IT systems, enterprise IT systems to help manufacturing companies develop and build products. We've just rolled out the largest cloud-based PLM implementation in the automotive industry. JLR selected us to do an S4 HANA rollout in all of their production facilities. So as part of our business, we train engineers. In 2005, we bought an e-learning platform, myigetit.com, and, uh, and today, over 50,000 engineers globally subscribe to that platform.
0: So your education sector is for training engineers to deploy?
1: For training engineers to deploy. That's how it started.
0: And what's the scalability of this? Where do you see, I mean, it's a very small percentage of your revenue. It's a very
1: small percentage of our revenue, but it is growing. And if you look at what happened here in India, India has a very unique challenge in that there are 1.2 million engineers that graduate every year, but only about 20% of them are deemed to be fit for purpose in terms of what the industry needs. We started to get involved in curriculum development and innovation lab development. That came to the attention of the state government of Karnataka, and they asked us to roll out 150 innovation labs for their ITIs. We did that deal three years ago. We've signed similar deals with the government of Tamil Nadu, Assam, UP, Chhattisgarh, Bihar. And so we're in the process of, uh, of rolling out that order book as we speak. And that's a very much exciting part of our growth journey.
0: Well, you're clearly very excited about the I education. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Warren, for being with us.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Tata Tech faces off some worthy competition on Dalal Street, some from within the group like Tata Alexi, and some from stalwarts in the segment like KPIT, whose stock has doubled in the last one year. Even Tata Alexi has not given investors much to complain about with a smart 25% up move since last November. But at $2.4 billion, Tata Tech's valuations are relatively cheaper at 28 times its annualized earnings. Compare this to KPIT, which demands a PE of 135 times and Tata Alexi at 65 times. But Tata Tech will not be pitched only against its competition from industry, but it will also face tough competition on the street from the various IPOs that are kicking off, including IREDA, which is the government's first offering since LIC. Along with it is Pen Pioneer, Flare Pens, White Oil Refiner, Gandhar, and Federal Bank-backed NBFC, Fedback Fin. Diwali may be done, but the fireworks on the IPO street are just starting. With that, it's a wrap on this episode of The Morning Brief from me, your host Anupriya Nair, and the team that put this together from The Economic Times. Thank you for listening in and hope you have a great week ahead.